This episode is being recorded on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish people. Hey everyone, this is Gabriel. And I'm Ravin. And this is Therapy After Hours. Welcome back to Therapy After Hours. Today we are going to talk to you all and each other about um, influencers, Instagram influencers. And as we kind of, you know, we're talking about this topic, we were talking about how there's kind of two general categories, is categories a fair mm-hmm. word, um, when it comes to mental health influencers on social media. One being, you know, general influencers that have a large following and speak about mental health topics, whether that's from their lived experience um, or from their own therapy and things like that. And then there's the other side of Instagram, which we've kind of called like Insta therapy. So that's like other therapists or mental health professionals or even like doctors, dietitians, a lot of these professionals in the wellness space that have an Instagram platform. Yeah, I think that's about it in terms of the approach for today's topic and or episode, and we can go from there. How about we start with just the general influencers? Because I think there's more of that than of the hmm. other. Well, I mean, if Is you there? follow, if you if you see what I follow, probably not. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know, like who has more reach out to yeah. people? And I'm just kind of thinking, like as we talk about this, I was curious to just kind of unpack, like the benefits and costs of each, right? Because both exist. Yeah. And so what do you think are some of the benefits of like the general influencers that show up and unpack mental health topics or share about their lived experience? Well, I think they just kind of make it a little less taboo Mm -hmm. to talk about mental health or talk about struggles in in their day-to-day life. And then at the same time, it might give people a little nudge or push to mm. like reach out for support or reach out to a therapist or a counselor in their area right. um, that could potentially support them or help them. Or even if they don't have access to a therapist that might be a good fit mm-hmm. based on, you know, either finances or just like fit in terms of approach and demographics and all these other things that we talked about in intersectionality, for example, mm-hmm. um, it just helps people kind of put words to what they're going through, what they're feeling, yeah. and potentially try new things that they didn't think about that could be supportive or helpful. Yeah, and I think that kind of, I would label that as like a benefit of both, right? Where it's like, what we're talking about is like decreasing the stigma, making it more socially acceptable to talk about mental health struggles or just, you know, topics related to it. Um, and I think with like, the general influencer space. So not being a mental health professional, I think there's value in people sharing their lived experience, right? That common humanity piece of, I'm not the only one who struggles with these things. There's other people out there. And then like representation, right? So seeing people who have marginalized identities with similar lived experiences, or similar struggles and saying like, oh, okay, like maybe I've only ever, you know, seen thin white girls who have eating disorders and yes, I may yeah, never have come across sure. one in my regular life. Sorry, like a representative depiction in my regular life. But thanks to Instagram, I can see other women of color 
women in larger bodies um, that struggle with these things. Yeah, and I think also it, it allows us to, you know, navigate some of these things on our own, mm-hmm. which in part can be not the best not the greatest, but mm-hmm. it can also be helpful because it gives us a little bit of more autonomy. It gives us a little bit more of like encouragement, if you will. Mm-hmm. I do think, you know, going into the not so great things, I would say, mm-hmm. when influencers or people who have a strong following on Instagram, for example, start saying, either giving advice mm-hmm. to their followers on how to manage their anxiety, their depression, their emotions, or whatever they're going through, like their traumas. Mm -hmm. But not so much saying like, hey, like, this is what worked for me. This is what my therapist and I did. It's more so like, no, this is what you need to do. Because that's how it is. Very different, right? Yeah, I think when you talk about like the autonomy piece, what comes to mind for me is like access to information. Right, it's providing mm-hmm. access to information in a context where people aren't necessarily looking for it, but they might come across something that resonates for them, and then they can they have the autonomy to choose like what they want to do with that information. But I get what you're saying around the that fine line of sharing about lived experience and being prescriptive in the approach, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you know, we'll talk, maybe we'll dive into mental health professionals afterwards, like at right now, just speaking of the general population. I just think like this happens across the board, not just with mental health, right? Like people are giving fitness advice, people are giving oh, nutrition yeah. advice, Everyone. people are giving medical advice. And it's like, where's the, the training or the, the backing for this and the potential for harm? I would I value the lived experience sharing when there's disclaimers involved, right? Of, hey, this is what worked for me. This might not be what works for everyone. And, you know, I encourage you to seek support in an act, in, you know, a way that works for you. Because what also happens when the prescriptive approach is taken by general influencers, and I've seen this happen and it drives me crazy every time, is now people are turning to them for support, mm-hmm. right? And then it's like, where's the boundary? Like, yeah. where are the... And that's that's the problem with unregulated platforms is like the ethics, right? Of yes. Now I see like influencers posting like an ask me anything. And people are asking for advice on processing trauma, advice on managing family dynamics um, that are really abusive or challenging, right? Like topics that are so, so sensitive, that I'm like, is an Instagram influencer whose job is not to provide the support, who hasn't been trained in providing the support, the place people should be going for this? Mm, yeah. And that's a good question, honestly. Like, probably not, or actually absolutely not. <laughs> and at the same time, it makes me think about, you know, are they more, more approachable for mm. some people? Are they more engaged in that way obviously that because that's what they do for the most part that's their life right that's their work Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering you know is it also the inaccessibility of mental health support that could also Mm. go in that direction that's a good point right because essentially it's a free resource (laughs) 
Yeah, it right? is. Right? So yeah. inaccessibility of the care. And I also, though, wonder about when we think back to like in our last episode talking about toxic positivity, like how much of people reaching out to these influencers as support is a means of avoiding uncomfortable feelings. Because it's like, yes. I look at this person and I see this perfect life. They've got everything I Which want. Which we know is not true. Exactly. It's not real. Critically, we know that, but what we're consuming, right? So it's like, I see this person who has the aesthetic that I want, who has the partner that I would want, who has the home, the dog, the vacations, the lifestyle. The body. The body. If I can ask them what they do and I do that same thing, then I will have the same thing. It's such a fine line. I think lived experience is so important. Role modeling is so important. Having people to look up to and examples of what is possible and what is attainable is important, but it needs to be boundaried. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's where the, the issues come into play. How do we boundary that? How do we create a space that is, you know, like free like that mm. and reaches multitudes of mm. people? Is that a word? I don't know. It's almost like influencers need their own ethical guidelines. Maybe. Right? And I know that Instagram has community guidelines. TikTok has community guidelines. That's a whole other topic, right? But I don't think they work. Yeah. They're, they're they relatively don't. useless. But yeah. They're like shadow banning people who are part of representation. But that also makes me think. So another benefit of the general influencer is a platform for marginalized voices that may not otherwise be heard. And it's like, we also should acknowledge that being a mental health professional and having had access to the education and the training is a privilege. Is a privilege, 100%. And so there are people out there that have just as much knowledge, just as much experience and didn't have an opportunity or didn't have a desire to jump through the bureaucratic hoops Mm. to get to where we are. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to make a big assumption here, but I would assume that the people that have that amount of knowledge and experience are usually, or are going to be the ones that actually make the caveats of like, I'm not a trained professional. This is mm. what worked for me. Please okay, reach fair. out. For and kind of like in my brain, that's how I see them, right? And like I said, this is a big assumption here because I don't know anyone <laughs> But then I also think like, just because you are a trained professional, and now maybe this goes into that insta therapy realm, just because you are a trained professional, doesn't mean that you are ethical and oh, that 100%. you are boundary. Or that you're, or you're that you're not doing any harm. Yeah, you're not using your, you know, that your platform is being used in the best ways, either. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest pieces of this of this um, episode is figuring out for us. Mm-hmm. what what works what doesn't what we mm-hmm. would what we would recommend in in terms of you know who you, when you follow someone you know how do you vet them mm-hmm. how do you know if what you're getting from their platform from their insta therapy or not insta therapy their instagram page mm-hmm. you can tell enough? more millennials by the way because yeah. we keep referencing instagram and not tiktok but this is inclusive of tiktok too oh yeah 100 <laughs> We only use TikToks for our recipes usually. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to be mindful that we're not being prescriptive either, right? Of like, this is what you should do when you follow somebody. Oh, no. This is just kind of... 
I think it's just unpacking it, yeah. right? Things to be aware of. And this yeah. is just like, these are things that I, like, I know you and I both get curious about in our own minds, right? When I'm like consuming content on social media, I'm asking myself these questions, right? Yeah, like, like, what are the benefits and drawbacks of taking this in? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I do, I do Instagram cleansings every once in a while mm-hmm. and I'll go through my, the people that I follow and the pages that I follow and then I'm like, is the content of this page adding something to my life or is mm. it just kind of not there, not mm-hmm. adding anything? And I, you know, there's a saying, if you don't add, you subtract. So mm-hmm. I yeah. just delete those, right? And stop following them. And I make those consciously in the moment, mm-hmm. those decisions, right? And at the same time, it's like, you know, how do we vet them? You know, is this person giving me something valuable mm-hmm. in terms of information or what is the Instagram that I'm following for, you know, like Mm -hmm. things that make me laugh, that's valuable for me. Yeah. Things that bring me joy, like food Mm -hmm. that can be valuable for me. Yeah. And then just like dog (laughs) accounts. But I also think it's like, it's not necessarily like putting the onus on influencers as much because we can't regulate that and control that of like what they're offering and what their boundaries are. But I think it's on us to get inquisitive, like with ourselves, right? Like, yeah. what is my intention for following this page? Like you said, like if it brings me joy, I like dogs. I like, you know, I, I value learning. So I do follow a lot of like therapy related pages, Same. Yeah. but then also going back to that, am I following someone who's open about their anxiety journey as a way of like avoiding my actual reality with anxiety because I'm viewing it through this kind of like fairy tale lens mm, of what mm-hmm. they're putting out there and like oh if I just drink my celery juice in the morning and go to the gym and come home and have coffee in my aesthetically pleasing mug in my perfectly decorated home that I won't have anxiety anymore because that's what this person is role modeling to me yeah yeah and I think you know if we kind of combine last episode's topic on this one, you know, toxic positivity, we can definitely see that some influencers, especially when they started to become like a thing, Mm -hmm. I think now it's shifted a little bit. There was the always hustling kind of thing Mm. or good vibes only or, you know, green juice or Mm -hmm. early worm takes the day or whatever the thing goes. Early worm gets the early bird gets the worm. There you go. (laughs) There we go. That's what you, you got from two ESL counselors <laughs> here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the hustle culture, right? And and that just like, so then the hustle culture, because one thing that really angers me on Instagram, as someone who has experienced clinical depression, is the advice on like, you just have to, you know, get up and do the things and go to the gym. And that's what's going to cure your depression. I'm like, those kinds of messages are so shaming for someone who's really in it because it's like, man, I don't even have energy to like open my eyes in the morning, let alone put on my Gymshark outfit and take a selfie in the mirror. We're in Vancouver, so you're Lulu. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I see a lot of Gymshark. I'm throwing shade all over the place on these trends, but like, you know, it's like, That's why that approach of the lived experience piece is so hard for me. It's like no one is, I mean, this is becoming more commonplace now, but no one's sitting there when they're sobbing in their bed because they've, they've been triggered into a PTSD response 
and they're, they feel like they're in fight or flight mode. No one's documenting that part on Instagram. They're documenting a month later, once they've worked through it and once mm-hmm. they've gone to therapy, once they've taken their medications oh. and then they're back at the gym and they're like, I have PTSD and now look at me like I'm thriving. Yeah. But for someone who's still in it to see that, yeah. it's going to be like, fuck, yeah. why am I not there? Yeah. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And the other side of that is like, if they were to actually film it and post it, the comments of people would be more so mm. like, oh, you're just doing this to get attention. Right? Majority. But yeah. I've, I've definitely seen people being like, please take care of yourself or kind of talk to someone, you know, be, being very encouraging and supportive. Whereas in, in most cases, the majority though is this person is doing it for attention. Yeah, that's so so interesting to me because I intentionally follow people with lived experience who are authentic on their platforms, right? Who show the good, the highs and the lows that show the good and the bad. And that's so true though. It's like if people are showing authentic parts of themselves, they're doing it for attention. They're doing it to get sympathy. Mm. Let's be real. Nobody wants your sympathy. Exactly. We want empathy. Yeah. But there's, oh, I wish I remembered his handle. There's a, a man on... TikTok that I've seen in the eating disorder community and he talks about this where he says like oh people think like am I suicidal for attention do I have an eating disorder for attention and it's like if it was for attention I wouldn't be struggling with it when no one's watching right like I I still it still hurts when the camera's off and the doors are closed yeah I think for me one of the biggest drawbacks of general influencers not being mindful of how they're sharing their mental health journeys is that piece of shaming, right? It's like, even if you don't want to post yourself crying, that's totally okay. You don't have to do that, Mm -hmm. but be transparent and honest in that it wasn't easy. It didn't just take one workout or one mental health walk or adopting a new puppy. Especially if you're someone that shares a lot Mm -hmm. on your social media, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, people get, you know, I agree that people share whatever they want to share. It's their Instagram page, it's their TikTok, but keep it real. Keep it authentic because that's what attracts people the most. Mm -hmm. That's what keeps us together as a community as well is being authentic with each other Mm -hmm. and healing is relational so Mm -hmm. we need to be a community we need to build that community and cultivate those yeah friendships and relationships that help us heal there are certain parts where we do alone Mm -hmm. but the majority of it it's not alone and i think that's where i get ticked off when people are not authentic on their instagram when there's someone who shares their life like if you go to my instagram i post a picture every three four five months depends on the year right so then i'm not there to share all of my life it's not your job it's not my job it's not what i do and i also wonder though because i feel the same way but then is that because we value authenticity and like is it fair for us to say that if you have a platform you need to be presenting the way that we would authentically present well who doesn't value authenticity though I mean, I mean, that's a big assumption yeah. and a big question. Yeah, a, a, a question. lot of people, I think. A Maybe. lot of people don't value... A lot of people value saving face and wearing a mask. Mm, and yeah. it may not be Which their true value. Which could be very much cultural. Yeah, but, you know, that's a, that's a whole other can of worms we could open. But I think, yeah. 
I think for me, it's like, even if you don't want to show up and, and show, you know, all the parts and yeah. be, yeah. be truly transparent, then for me, it's like stay in your lane. Right. Like mm. I, and I, and I think about that a lot. It's like, as an eating disorders clinician, I often have to check myself to stay in my lane. I can't give nutrition advice. I can't give medical advice. Those are not my lanes. I have to stay in the lane that I'm in. And I think that should be true for any professional or, and I'm considering Instagram or like influencers in this regard, like a prof- that's their profession. Yeah. Right. So it's like, if your niche is fashion, if your niche is, um, you know, makeup or branding or whatever it is, if you can't, speak about the nuances of mental health and those struggles, then maybe don't mm-hmm. or direct people to the right resources of, Hey, this is my story. And if anyone's struggling, I encourage you to reach out for professional support. Yeah. And I think, and I think there's other ways of being supportive that don't necessarily mean telling people what to do mm-hmm. or what, you know, this helped me, this is what you should do kind of thing. But more so just having conversations with people of like, hey, this is this is where I struggle. This is what I did. This mm-hmm. is what didn't work for me. This is what did. And just, you know, even building a, a, a community of like a, I don't know, a group chat or something with your friends or people that are going through similar things of what you went through mm-hmm. and just talking about it mm-hmm. not as a, as a therapeutic support group but more so like oh we just experienced all the same things so yeah. let's talk let's, as a you know, point of connection yeah and i think that's something that not everyone can do or knows how to do and that might because also be so going back to influencers being that space where people turn to them some people don't have anybody else that's the other part yeah because i think part of me is like i'll be honest Sometimes I go into like a judgmental place when influencers are sharing that, you know, followers are asking them really personal, like advice questions. And I'm thinking like, why are you going to a stranger on the internet for this advice? And then I have to check myself. And I was like, wow, like either you really have nobody else or like maybe it's too shameful to go anywhere else. Mm. And it feels safer to go to a stranger that has no ties to your life and has 500,000 followers and you're just a drop in the bucket. Mm, yeah, maybe. I mean, those two things are very powerful. Not having anybody else mm-hmm. to reach out to and the shame piece. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be quite heavy in certain cultures, for example. You know, in Latino culture, it now it's getting better, but... Sometimes just even saying that you're going through depression or anxiety, people will tell you, suck it up. So instead of hearing that for the millionth time of someone telling you, suck it up, you go to a stranger. Mm -hmm. You go to someone that might be able to tell you something else Mm -hmm. because you've heard it all. You've heard it out. Oh, don't be a crybaby. Suck it up. Be a man. Be a strong woman. Be a strong person. Be this. Be that. Mm -hmm. Whereas this influencer if you will is telling you something else that might be a little bit more validating yeah of your experience or maybe they just get it in a way that nobody like it's not only not having anybody else but what you're talking about is like getting it in a way that nobody else might right like i'm thinking about like a a queer kid living in a small community that has no one 
who might get it, who might have similar identities or similar struggles, going online and finding someone who they can relate to. Yeah, for sure. For right? sure. I guess for me, it's just like the power that that influencer can hold is so big, especially for mm. like young people. And I, I guess my concern is just that people aren't mindful enough about how that power, like how much power they hold. Yeah. And I think definitely, you know, acknowledging a lot of the privileges that we've mentioned and that we have of having someone to go to or knowing someone that can potentially support us. Because I remember my own experience growing up not acknowledging or admitting that I was gay. So I didn't have anyone to talk to that was gay mm -hmm. or that was going through the same thing that I was. Mm -hmm. Then I think of one of my close friends who went to a different school and we met a year, like we met as adults. But in his class only, there was like three other gay kids. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I don't know if they were friends or not, but it was like just even seeing that mm -hmm. and being able to potentially talk to each other or struggle mm -hmm. together or, or, you know, figure it out together. Yeah. But yeah. And how the internet allows us more access to people mm -hmm. that oh, might sure. relate, right? And Like talking to someone that in no way you're ever, ever going to meet or be in the same room with potentially, mm -hmm. or that they're gonna meet anyone that you know that could out you, for example, or tell your secrets, mm -hmm. if anything. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's obviously like a lot of benefits and drawbacks, right, to the, the influencer space. And I'm curious like to kind of move this conversation into the Insta therapy space. Yeah. And what comes up for you when you think about the Insta therapy space? And by Insta therapy, like I mentioned earlier, we mean kind of, you know, the therapists, the mental health professionals that have a social media platform and are, are posting information, hopefully not advice, but maybe advice mm -hmm. and strategies and things like that. And just to be clear, we both have our own, both of our practices have our Instagram pages. Mm -hmm. So we are included in that. But at the same time, it's like, I'm thinking more so of the therapists that actually say things that can be very harmful. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the ones that are sharing really valuable and nuanced information. And mm -hmm. even if they are sharing nuanced and valuable information in a way, I think there's just enough space in an Instagram post for nuances. Mm. Okay, so but I'm curious though. I want to go. I want to go back. So before okay, we get yeah. into like the ways in which some folks are causing harm, because I'm totally on the same page as that. Okay. What if we look at like Insta therapy as a whole? Because there's benefits and drawbacks to even that existing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right, like okay, social yeah. media platforms. For I that. would say the benefits that I can think of, I would I would start with access to information mm -hmm. from, you know, trained, researched people mm -hmm. that, you know, they've done their work, they've put the hours in to find sources of the research that's out there. Mm -hmm. And then just putting in, probably putting it in, into words that are easy to understand. Mm -hmm. You know, if anyone that knows me, like knows that I won't use complicated words or things that are very research kind of wording. Mm -hmm. But it's also it's that right. So access to information mm -hmm. that otherwise they might not get. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I'm blanking now. So. Yeah. Well, I think access information, and then I would just like probably broaden that, right? Of like access to resources, right? So maybe you find out about an online support group or you find, you know, you wouldn't have come yeah. across a therapist yeah. any other way that really aligns with who you are. Again, having voices mm-hmm. for therapists with marginalized identities, right? Like historically, what kind of research went into pop culture and regular media, right? The stuff that gets publicized is usually done by white folks and usually by white men, old, right? Old, <laughs> old white, white men, men, right? Like the stuff that actually gets put out there mm-hmm. in the New York Times or like whatever. Yeah. Whereas Instagram allows, you know, the BIPOC therapist, the fat therapist, the queer therapist, like all of these folks with different identities to share about their work and share about mm. Mm-hmm. resources and insights yeah so i think that's really important yeah i think it also decreases stigma in a mm-hmm. similar way that it, the influencers do right, it's right. Just, because they're so just it's out there yeah so people see it and it becomes normalized based on societal standards mm-hmm. and all these other kind of things that we talk about and we don't talk about in mm-hmm. in real life and i think it busts the myth of what a therapist is in a lot of ways, right? Like kind of, which was what a little bit of what we hoped out of doing this podcast as well. It's like, it gives us a space to say like, Hey, we're humans too. Cause mm-hmm. I think historically there's this kind of stereotype of the therapist and the way that we present and you know, that we're always psychoanalyzing people and we're, we're not. Yeah. I, I might be, but no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, I'm too tired for that. But yeah. So I, I think, it makes it more accessible. I've had a lot of, even just folks, I've had a couple of folks reach out like about their response to the podcast of like, wow, like you're so human and you're so, you know, mm-hmm. um, normal, quote unquote. And so I think the Insta therapy space allows for that, for people who might be otherwise like intimidated or have an idea of what therapy might be or what a therapist might be. It busts that myth a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And I think it, it, it definitely helps just normalize the whole experience, right? And people reach out to therapists for real and be like, hey, can I be your client? Or how can I reach out to your mm-hmm. private practice or your agency work and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. Another thing that I think is quite beneficial from licensed therapists or mental health practitioners that are quite in tune with their ethics and all that stuff is when they make sure they have disclaimers on their Instagram, Mm, you know, like mm -hmm. this is not therapy. Like I will not respond to clients in in this page. And also just making caveats under each post or Mm -hmm. whenever they make like big, big statements, like Mm -hmm. what that might mean, a little bit of more nuance and and just kind of acknowledging some of the limits Mm -hmm. of being a therapist on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And, and making sure that people see that, you know, put it on highlights, put mm-hmm. it on your stories, make a post on it. Right. That way there's mon- multiple places where people can see like, okay, this person is uh, well informed and is talking about ethics as well and setting some boundaries. So it's like, okay, this, mm-hmm. this might be a little bit more trauma informed in some way or another. So I think that's like one of the benefits for sure that we can talk about. Mm-hmm. So what about drawbacks? Oof. Yes, I've been waiting for the whole episode to get to this place. So there's this one Instagram. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, no, just kidding. 
Drawbacks. Drawbacks of it generally. Generally, first. generally. Okay, okay. Well, there's always the possibility of doing harm. Mm-hmm. When something is too black and white, when it's not right. nuanced enough, right? When we as therapists give advice instead of being like, hey, these are some things like you can do versus this is what you need to do and mm-hmm. this is this will cure your anxiety or this will... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I've never seen that one, but... <laughs> probably out there let's be probably, honest yeah but but you know it's like it's making sure that what you learned in your training and in your research and your careers and your school translates to a platform in a better way not mm-hmm. saying things that are not reality or true because that could potentially cause more harm than anything mm-hmm. and i think that's the tough part right it's like we didn't get training in grad school and social media like this is a really new thing to the point where in bc at least our ethics board is still finding a way to work in social media ethics into our code of conduct and you know so a lot of people are just kind of out there doing whatever and not really grounding it in the ethics that already exist i think a big drawback and something that really gets to me is the oversimplification of things Mm, right like humans are so complex that's why therapy is not a cookie cutter process Mm -hmm. if it was we would just hand everybody like a workbook on how to exist and be done right but it's like way more complex than that and then what happens is these really complex things like i'm gonna we'll probably do a whole episode on trauma but i'm gonna take like the concept or multiple yeah take the concept of trauma gets talked about on social media in an oversimplified way, then it becomes kind of, I don't know what the right word is, but like trendy maybe, mm-hmm. or like the, the topic that's trending for everybody to learn about. Yeah. And now everything's a trauma response, right? And so it's like, I'm having clients come in or I'm chatting with my friends and they're like, yeah, I follow all these Instagrams, these therapists on Instagram. And you know, the fact that I say sorry a lot is a trauma response. The fact that I like to do kind things for other people is a trauma response. Like, everything becomes a trauma response. Yeah, that procrastination is a trauma response. Yeah, and it's not to say that it can't be. Like, these things can oh, be. But it's just not a sure. one-size-fits-all. And you, there's so many parts intersecting. So, like, the oversimplification drives me insane. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's a big piece on both sides. Mm-hmm. Not just therapists, but also social media influencers. Mm-hmm that are not therapists, right? When mm-hmm. they say like, oh, you should just have to go to the gym and you'll feel better. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. bring me the energy yeah. pack so I can actually get out of bed. Bring me the serotonin because it's not, yeah. you know, you're not there deciding whether or not I need antidepressants mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. yeah. The other thing that irks me is again, like I mentioned earlier about like the stay in your lane piece, yeah. right? So therapist giving nutrition advice again eating disorders world this is something that comes up time and time again and it just makes me insane i'm like i'm not a dietitian it's not my place to give you nutrition advice mm-hmm. you know and so therapist saying like you know the uh, i'll see posts about like what you should be eating to reduce anxiety what you should be eating <laughs> to boost your mood yeah. what you should be eating to cure your gut health because serotonin I'm going to make a quote, and this is going off of some of these specific Instagram therapists that Gabe and I are not so crazy about, but the quote-unquote serotonin is made in the gut. So as a therapist, I'm going to teach you how to 
make serotonin in your gut by telling you what to eat. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've seen all of that. And at the same time, I, you know, it's like if I were to start talking in my counseling page about eating disorders, when I don't have any training, I don't have any experience mm. or any kind of knowledge about working with an eating disorder, period. Mm-hmm. Like working so that's with, another stay in your lane. Stay in your lane, yeah. yeah. Like, like if someone that is struggling with an eating disorder or even disordered eating, like I probably don't know what to do mm. because I don't cater or market myself as any of that. I don't mm-hmm. get any clients, which is great for me and great for them. But yeah, it's like, how do, how do people, you know, make sure people stay in their lanes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not our place. Like, I'm not going to police anyone. Yeah, and I think, like, I wanted to disclaim, too, a lot of my examples I noticed have been to do with, like, nutrition advice or exercise advice in these spaces. And I, obviously, my lens is very anti-diet culture, and I think part of the problem is diet culture is so pervasive again another episode but there are a lot of mental health professionals out there who haven't done their work Mm, on things mm -hmm. whether like the example that i'm giving is they haven't done their work in regards to diet culture and so those biases and beliefs are coming through in their posts but it might be regards to other things right there are some therapists that haven't done any work on themselves in regard to anti-oppression or the privileges that they hold and then that comes across in their content yeah and i'm also thinking then when it's a therapist that is posting really good stuff in kind of retrospect right and then suddenly posts start kind of getting weird or you start digging into their kind of history and then it just gets like bad bad so i know you have really strong feelings about this and (laughs) you're you're dancing around it so just take us into it gabe some of you might know who this person is some of you might not but this is a therapist we're getting juicy on today's podcast (laughs) this is a therapist that has a huge huge platform they're not from bc they're from the states we won't name any names for legal purposes yes if you can figure it out yay you but we will not confirm or deny. Exactly. Who I followed for a while and I reposted their work quite a lot, I would say, because they post so much. I did too. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, this post feels shitty to me. And then the next post felt shitty and it was like, oh, something's going on here. Like I started looking more into it and deeper into it. And then I made a comment to a friend of mine. It's like, hey, have you noticed this? And she was like, yeah. And she's transphobic. And I'm like, what? And I was like, this makes sense. So I started researching more and more and more and more and more. I ended up finding so much receipts on this person. They're transphobic, supporter of QAnon, white supremacist. Basically kind of even abusing underserved populations or the underdog and people that have Mm. maybe don't have as much knowledge or understanding of some of these nuances and it is fucked and i think what you're highlighting there is so important because it's like in case y'all haven't figured out listening to it we like to think really critically about things and dig into things but that's not what the average person is doing when they're scrolling through social media and so when they see a mental health professional with a huge 
platform and with lots of success, you know, you, you might be consuming that content thinking like this person is more qualified than me and knows more than me. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to take what they're saying as fact. And then they can actually be causing harm in these subtle ways, right. That may not be picked up on. And then it's like built and built and, yeah, I think that's really important to be mindful of. It's like not only just looking at like their pretty post and the the cute quote that it has on it, but like who is this person? Yeah. Who am I supporting and providing a platform to? Yeah. And what yeah. do they stand for in their life outside of this platform or their life on it? I don't know. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, it and it all started with posts. So it's not like I was like digging through their mm-hmm their you know their garbage kind of thing right (laughs) it's like no their posts you could see the underlying information there Mm. however like if you told me i don't remember when i started following them or when i stopped but let's say five six years ago i didn't think this critically about any of that Mm -hmm. well first of all i wasn't a therapist at that point Mm -hmm. i had just moved to canada to start my studies so it takes time to develop that eye mm-hmm. where we can kind of see mm-hmm. differently some of the things that we're consuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, the information, social media, the news, even TV shows and movies. There's so much behind those that go into play. Yeah. And we could dig for hours and hours. Yeah. But I think honestly, like that was one of the things that was more mind blowing to me when I realized mm-hmm. that this person who has a phd who has been researching and studying for a long time Mm -hmm. can still do so much harm yeah i'm gonna have these big big political views Mm -hmm. of being a white supremacist of being a QAnon supporter be a transphobic yeah that cause so much harm yeah that have been causing so much harm for so so long yeah And then also causing harm, like if we even go to like, we're looking at the macro level, if we go into like the micro level, because when we talk about this individual, it makes me branch out into like another cost or detriment or potential harm of Insta therapy, which is true for this person, I believe, but also just Insta therapy as a whole. Yeah. And that's the trauma informed piece. Yeah. Right. So for those of you who don't know, trauma informed practice is essentially safe practice around trauma, right? And we can be mindful in what we're posting on social media. People now often see trigger warnings on things, whole other topic as well. Yeah, we'll do another, (laughs) we'll do a full episode on that. But, you know, I just think about um, people's capacity when it comes to trauma. So if I'm consuming content online that's telling me you know that's giving me journaling prompts or giving me advice on how to process my trauma or the things that I can do to quote unquote heal myself but my trauma is from a place where I have like PTSD responses and maybe those are really dark and scary places to go alone Mm -hmm. I think it's harmful for therapists to be putting out that kind of information and that kind of self-awareness work that's Mm -hmm. often what it is right like you know maybe like a like i mentioned like a journaling prompt or questions to ask yourself or even just saying like this might be a trauma response if that trauma response comes from me being horribly abused in my life 
you've just brought that up for me with absolutely no support. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things about, you know, using social media as a way of getting access to therapeutic support. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's the free one, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but then we have other platforms that offer free support or um, low cost support that are fucking shit. Mm-hmm. We're just talking about some online. You'll know this one too, you guys. There is, I don't know if we can name it. I won't name it, but there is online therapy services that are promoted often by these influencers. Yes. Um, and by some of these therapists as well. And by some of these therapists. And they are so unethical and awful, which again is probably a whole other episode. We have so much to talk about with all of you. Well, like, I'm thinking of one specifically that is sponsoring one of our favorite podcasts. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it makes me insane. Yeah. Anyway. I've thought about writing to them. I've thought about it. You should. I can sign in with you. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. I think we're coming to a close here. But yeah. but yeah, keep in mind that these are our opinions, right? And mm-hmm. this is how we think. And and we're not perfect, so we're still learning. We're still growing with mm-hmm. with each other, with our clients. Yeah, and for a lot of like the, what we discussed today, I think you know we're we're coming into this space, and thoughts are coming up, and we're. I'm voicing some of these ideas for the first time yeah. out loud, right? Like yeah. we're genuinely having these conversations to learn and be curious and we're probably going to get some things wrong. Yeah. And we're open to feedback always. Mm-hmm. So I guess what we want to leave folks with. Yeah. I think just be, be mindful of who you follow, what you follow and kind of the content that you're consuming, right? And mm-hmm. make sure you curate it to something that is actually helpful and beneficial to you. Mm-hmm. That is not coming from a shame based place. Like if you start feeling shame because of you ate a donut or a cupcake, then that's probably not the website, the mm-hmm. Instagram post for you or the influencer. Yeah. That's a really good gauge, right? Like how do I feel when I'm consuming this content? And so my general rule of thumb has always been, if I feel worse about myself, mm. it's not something I want to be following. Do a Marie Kondo on your yeah, Instagram what's following. What sparks joy? What sparks joy? And also kind of make sure that what sparks joy is truly joy and not what you think you should be consuming to be X, Y, Z. Ooh, that's a big, yeah. that's a big little bomb that you're dropping at the end, but I like it. Yeah, I think don't take what you see on social media as fact. Yeah. There's way too much nuance. Take everything with a grain of salt. We love the word nuance here. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's so many ins and outs and it can't be as simple as one post. It's just not possible. Yeah. All right. So I guess we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode. We would love to hear your thoughts, feedback, or episode ideas. You can find us on Instagram at therapy.afterhours or email us at therapyah.podcast.gmail.com. Just a reminder that although we are therapists, we are not your therapist. And this podcast is not a substitute for therapy or other mental health services. In the event that one of us is your therapist, we invite you to bring any responses to our episodes into your sessions. Bye Bye for for now. now.